Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Let's Run, the Western Mass Running Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Gradet. This podcast is made possible thanks to the resources at East Hampton Media. Today's featured guest, Rob Landry, is currently the president of the Greater Springfield Harriers. During our podcast conversation, Rob shares some interesting stories that happened at events hosted by the Harriers and talks about the Harriers racing team that participates in the USA Track and Field Grand Prix events in New England, as well as USATF national events. Rob maintains the Greater Springfield Harriers website, which is my go-to site to get information on upcoming events, as well as results from local races. In fact, Rob has been working to restore access to results from past races that were lost when Cool Running was unceremoniously shut down and replaced by an awful site called Active. Rob's computer programming skills have certainly come in handy in this endeavor. Rob is also a competitive runner, having completed 31 marathons, including seven Bostons, most in well under three hours. Rob didn't start running marathons until he was in his 30s, and was an elite marathoner right away, finishing first in the Walter Childs Race of Champions four consecutive years from 2008 to 2011. Rob's fastest Boston Marathon was in 2009 with a time of 2 hours, 36 minutes, and 46 seconds. Rob had a lot of great info to share, so our conversation is longer than usual, about an hour. Because of that, And because Rob does such a great job of maintaining the upcoming race calendar on the Harriers website, I won't be providing a listing of upcoming races in this podcast. Instead, I suggest that you go to the Greater Springfield Harriers website to find Western Mass events. To cast a wider net, I recommend going to the website Running in the USA. Here's my conversation with Rob Landry. And stay tuned afterwards for information about upcoming podcasts. I'd like to now welcome Rob Landry to the Let's Run podcast. Rob is president of the Greater Springfield Harriers and does a great job maintaining their webpage. Rob updates the page frequently with upcoming local events as well as results from local races. Rob also has an impressive running resume, winning the Holyoke Marathon, also known as the Walter Childs Race of Champions, four times. And by my count, Rob has completed seven Boston marathons. So, Rob, welcome to the Let's Run podcast. Thank you, Tim. Glad to be here. Great. I believe you've been vacationing in Maine for the last few weeks. Where do you stay while you're up in Maine? We camp with a big group, Old Orchard, Maine. We've been doing it for about 15 years, right off the beach area. One of my favorite times to go camping. And on a running note there, I started running back in 2005. I was not even aware back then that Maine has a huge race called the Beach to Beacon 10K. And I started running at the next year. It's a great race, very similar to Falmouth. An elite group comes in, a great competition between regionals, New England. They have a huge Maine competition. They used to have an entire section of the paper dedicated for about two or three days. Human interest stories, elite stories, unbelievable wrap-up stories uh, the day after. It was like my first experience with a race that was huge and it was important to the community and a competition and a really fun event. 
Beast of Beacon. Beast of Beacon. Joni Benoit Sanderson, the first woman Olympic marathon winner. Cape Elizabeth, Maine, that's where she uh, lives. And she runs there all over the place. She started this race, I'm trying to think now, they're about the 18th year. It's become very big, sells out immediately. Wow. So how many runners do they get? Uh, they keep it about 6,000, that one. Uh, Cape Elizabeth is a very difficult place to get into. You go right through Portland over to Casco Bay Bridge, probably one, in, one way in, one way out, almost like Woods Hall and Falmouth. But uh, it is a strain on the small area that holds it. It finishes right at the Dubo uh, Lighthouse. Beautiful. You can't ask for a better setting. So you run down a beach uh, around mile five, hit a couple hills, and you go right into the park. You couldn't ask for a more beautiful race. And like I said, it has everything in there. A race for everybody, too. Like it's people that enjoy a great view, competitive runners that want to run against some of the top people in the country and the world. It's really a, a very well-run race. Sounds great. And it's always in August? Yep. First Saturday in August. Do you plan your vacation around the race? Well, that was it. We started going up camp in 2005 with a big group. There's about 50 of us that, that are out there during the time. And I wasn't even aware of it until I saw the sports paper. And I was like, oh, my, you know, and I just started running. And the next year I, uh, I went and then it started to get really, that was about the time when registration went online and the boom of running where if you didn't sign up immediately, like at midnight, by 12.02, the race would sell out. And I think I was running pretty well at the time. So I kind of emailed the race director and said, hey, can you make some room for me, please? And since then, I've been getting in a nice little promo code and invite. Uh, it's one of the few races in this area that really kind of caters to some of the top runners in the area and make sure that they can get in. It reminds me a little bit of the Boilermaker in Utica, New York. Yeah, very, very, yeah. That's a big one. I've, I've done that a couple of times, and that sells out very quickly. Right. And they get, gosh, I don't know, close to 10,000 runners, I think. Oh, 18,000, so, I think it is. 18,000? And there's a huge, huge after party. I, I did that a couple of years ago with your Empire Group. And that's another race. You can tell the races that are put on by former competitive runners because they will dedicate a what they call a sub-elite coordinator beyond the elites and uh, make sure that top local runners have a spot based on a qualification it's a lot of work. It's a lot of extra work to do it. So that's a big event. Great local support too. Yeah. And like you say, a great after party. It is huge. Local breweries uh, supply plenty of beer mm. for the after party. Yeah. And it's early in the morning too on a Sunday. Right. <laughs> Which the runners yeah. don't seem to have a problem with in terms of drinking at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you also made it to Falmouth this past weekend. Yeah. And so um, how was that? That's a very similar type of vibe, feel. Of course, Tommy Leonard, who had roots to the our Western Mass area, started this race the year after Frank Shorters uh, won the Olympic marathon. He was able to get in touch with him. He started it as a fun, a bar-to-bar race, right? Sound familiar? <laughs> and they would run it around, uh, I think, 11 o'clock, just because bars couldn't open on Sunday before then. So middle of August, running 11 miles, seven miles, sorry, in the middle of August, is, you know, 11 o'clock is not great. But now they have started at nine. It's taken a little different form now. It's gone through different changes since Tommy's passed a couple of years ago. Tommy would have been, I believe, 82 this Sunday. He used to run the race on his birthday or whatever that closest to the Sunday is. And it happened with a fall this year on his birthday. An elite crowd comes in. They have host families that keep some of the top runners from the country and the world there. 
And it's, that one has really got a great New England feel to it. Some of the best, Frank Rogers, Yoni Benoit, they come every year to support the race. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they've ever missed a year. And you can approach them and talk to them before and after the race. They do mile races in Falmouth at a high school. Now that race, as it's grown from a couple hundred people to tens of thousands, has raised a lot of money for the community, including the Falmouth High School. They had a world record a mondo track is what they use for the olympics most of the time that quality of a track at that high school and they put track races on saturday so this saturday was phenomenal even though it was what three o'clock in the afternoon they ran a little bit earlier but the winning time was like a 352.9 i mean that's phenomenal especially at three o'clock wow. uh, oh, on an open field there was some pretty good wind i mean it is just line up next to the field no charge and you get to see some of the best runners from the country compete wow. on a high school track that you're just two feet from. I think a couple of years I sat there and I talked to Meg Koflansky and I've talked to, uh, I talked to Joni a little bit. They're regular people and they're very approachable. You ever talked to Bill Rogers? I had him on the podcast yeah. earlier. Yeah. Uh, mostly at St. Patty's day, seen him warming up and he'll just kind of, you know, if you know, Bill, right. He just kind of waves, gives you a thumbs up. So we've seen him warm it up a couple of times and just kind of give him the old wave. Hey, good luck. Very casual, very easy go lucky guy. Oh, he is. Yeah, he's a great guy to talk to. I talked with him at the expo before the Philadelphia Marathon a couple yeah. of years ago. But did you get to meet Molly at all? I didn't get to run into her. She was at the start line. She blew the horn. She talked quite a bit about her experiences. And I set myself a little bit farther back this year because uh, this year I have not been training well. Uh, haven't been training much. I didn't see her there. I didn't see her at the expo because of the time it went through. And I didn't see her afterwards either because they really kind of shuffled the runners away uh, because of COVID. But I know plenty right. of people that did talk to her. She lined up last. Yeah. And then I think they donated a dollar for every runner she yeah. passed. From that part of the uh, mm-hmm. event, they raised almost $5,000. Yeah, that's a difficult race to pass people. There's so many people, although there was half this year, 8,000. But the roads, even though they're wide open to the runners, it can be very narrow and hard to get by people. It's amazing she passed that many. You mentioned raising money for charities. When Molly was running, she was raising money for Tommy's house. Tommy Leonard, yes. They support families of uh, children with cancers. Yeah, it's a great event. I've never done it. seems like every time I go to register, it's sold out. Yes. But, but it seemed like there were a lot of Western Mass runners there this year. Yep, yep. Saw some of the Griffin's friends, a lot of the Empire people, Jim Ryan and Paul Joseph. Uh, they, they seem to get in every year, too. But it's a great race. It's a, definitely a bucket race. Let's talk about your work with the Harriers, and then later we'll um, talk about your own personal running. So, so you're the president of the Harriers, Greater Springfield Harriers. Yes. Uh, when did you join? I started off running in 2005, ran with Empire for a couple of years. Uh, I joined the Harriers in 2009. That was when I turned 40. They had a very, very good master's team. And at that point, Empire, we weren't competing in the Grand Prix, and I kind of wanted to run the Grand Prix. One of the things with the Harriers is, if you know, they have a strong competitive feature. I mean, all our running clubs are really open, supportive of runners of all abilities and ages. The Harriers really, when Peter Staz started, I think really want to make sure that the competitive runners were being supported. And he, I think, has really underestimated the, the commitment in terms of time and energy that Peter has put in to support runners between the fast feed running store 
and the personal financial support he's given runners over the course of time to run competitively. We help runners based on performance, but you don't have to be an elite. You know, you have to be a Division One college-level type runner. We send them to all the New England races, which the USATF uh, puts out about seven races a year. I, I think you've listened to the other podcast. Uh, you've had a talk yeah, about Kevin that. Kevin was yeah. talking about that, right. Right. Kevin Powell. Right. Uh, so we send teams there, and when we send teams, we, we help them. We, uh, we comp them their entries. We use the money that we raise for our own races and time in or whatever we're doing as a club. And we get those runners there. So it's a big benefit to especially the younger runners if they don't have the money or it's just nice. It's nice to have that as a perk. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, we want to make a strong presence. USATF support is something that's important to this club and supporting the competitive scene. So we try to make a presence at all the races and we do on the road and cross country as well in the fall. This fall, then the uh, cross country um, circuit is active and will be taking place. Yes, yeah, we got all these road races that are <laughs> falling into September and October because of everybody of the pushback, the, all the people deferring. A lot of the spring races are in the fall. It's going to be interesting, but they plan to have it. It accumulates on November as it usually does, the first or second November. I haven't run the Muslim Half Marathon in a long time, one of my favorite races too, because it falls about that same Sunday, uh, Franklin Park in Boston. That's where you run all your collegiate. They even had a world championship cross country at one point. We'll send a very good team there. We'll have trouble with the BAA and Central Mass clubs. We're lucky in New England. There's unbelievable talent depth. We've won nationals, which is the first week of December. We were talking to Kevin about that. We send a team. We give them a stipend. We've won the 50-year-old division now four years in a row, which is really impressive to have three or four of your 50-year-olds, not just healthy, but running at a national level. Wow. Yeah. So who are the stars in the 50-year-old group? You must be uh, one of them. I could barely score for this team. On my best day, I think I came in fifth. And it's funny, some of the local people won't be aware of who they are, but they've all had close ties to this exact community. When I'm thinking of the Kent Lemmy, you probably, uh, if you heard of Kent Lemmy, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's out in the uh, Wilmston area. You know, he's run, I think he's run a 420 master's mile. Wow. Runs at a national level. You know, we talk about three or four guys here, what I'm going to name off that are running 31, 32 minutes cross country. I mean, they're competitive against a lot of the open guys still. Francis Burdett, wow. who does a tremendous job coordinating the cross country races, getting the teams going, rallying the troops every year, shuttling people back and forth to the airport, stuff like that, recruiting. He's a phenomenal recruiter of getting, you know, bending people's arms and say, you sure you don't want to run for us? He's done a great job. Francis is, he won cross country nationals in Boulder when he turned 50 at a, like that wow. ridiculous time of like 32 and a half at altitude. One of the real diamonds in a rough that we had no idea in this area is uh, if you haven't heard Nat Larson, Nat Larson wow. was somebody that probably ran about 32, 33 minutes in college at Amherst college did not run competitively for the next 20 or so years and then ran into Francis Burdett, I think, at a national Grand Prix event, I think in Atlanta. And at that point, he was running near national class times, and we had no idea it was from Amherst. Uh, <laughs> so he's since gone on to she said about four or five age records. We're talking like low 15s as a 50-year-old. He had the 8K record that just got broken, I believe. 
had a 15K record. I think he still has. At one point, he did run about a 217 marathon, I believe. But nobody really had him on his radar. And we have, so, let's see, what else? We have Mike Nahum from the Worcester area. But he, like I say, most people don't see him. He only shows up for cross country. He was a walk-on to Boulder, Colorado, which is, you know, a top, top-level D1 school. He says to walk on to a school. And again, someone that's not on people's radar, but Francis was able to pick him up. And then, of course, Sandu Rubinchek. Do you know Sandu? I don't know Sandu. Well, he had, up until just a couple of years ago, the Empire record. Now, he is a great story. He ran the world championship as a junior in Turkey and defected at that time. His family said the dangers of being in Romania. But he defected and he landed, in, you know, after a couple of years of staying in the same camp that Meb Kovlenski was in at a different time. Came over to, uh, of all places, Springfield, Mass. Peter Staz had him uh, when he was first here, helped him, kept him up above the uh, fast feed place. There's a couple of apartments, so he kind of helped him out. He got established. Now he's a secondary teacher of language up in Vermont. And he has nearly made the Olympics in pentathlon, but just an incredible talent. I think he has a world record at 35 years old for steeplechase. Then we had Joel May, who's from Connecticut, who also ran world championship for cross country. Mm-hmm. Joe should have been at the Olympics. He ran a 213 marathon. Just alone there, you, you have an unbelievable field. You compete in New England events, yeah. but do you also compete around the country? I tell you what, Francis is one of those guys. He does a lot of competing for track and field. Alejandro is another great runner for Amherst. I mean, the Fertinis, Peter and Peter and Paul Fertini are local runners. We all struggle just to make the fifth guy in this team, as you can imagine. But Francis does a lot of running all over the world. He constantly runs world championship, master track. He's done some mountain. Incredible guy. Yeah, so the Harriers, they've been mm-hmm. participating in events for many years. Uh, yeah. Joe Martino was on the podcast with Bill Rogers back right. a few months ago, and he talked about it in his book, talked about a trip to California back in the 80s. Yeah. I hear the stories of um, the old days before I was running. I only started in 95, and I guess those trips were quite fun, and they still are. But they sent quite a group, and those guys knew how to have fun afterwards. We're at the 40s and 50-year-olds, or we're, we're very serious about our running. You'll see, um, we'll go out for the after parties, but we're all fathers now and coaches and stuff <laughs> like that. So. Is there a women's team as well? I think Don Roberts runs. We had Don before the Western Mass shift started really forming into a team, but we still have a women's team we try to assemble. Ken Lemmy's uh, wife, Shabon, she's been on it. Mike Nam's wife has been on it. So it depends on the year and the health of the people that we assemble. We'll send what we can. If we can get a competitive team together, we will send one. So is it fair to say then the Harriers, of all the clubs in Western Mass, then I think the Harriers try to field the most competitive team. Yeah. Although you do try to appeal to runners of all builds. Yeah, you don't have to be elite. You do have to have a, I would say, a, a good showing at races. If you're the kind of person that's, oh, I'm going to run real hard for you, but you're really running, you're not, you just kind of running it like any other race. These guys take it seriously. I mean, they're not, right. you won't see them on a, uh, the Ashley on 5K before the Saturday National Championship. They spend their time focusing and specifically training and be ready to peak at a, a certain point. And they represent us very well. There's a lot of groans, I think, because we've won, like I said, the National Championship four years in a row. 
uh, the seniors. It's really hard to put five guys that good together. We've actually had almost two teams that done well because we had so many guys. So the team's organized by 10-year age groups? Correct. Like New England's, you can have guys, if you're a 50-year-old, it's just as fast as your open guy or your 40-year-olds. They count all the way through, scoring down, as they call that. Nationals, they don't do it. They, they have stricter rules, and the competition levels are there. The depth is there. So you have to decide. And it's, it isn't uncommon for a 50-year-old to run in the 40-year-old race mm-hmm. and only count as a 40-year-old, depending on what you have for a squad. So when this elite group of 50-year-olds, runners in their 50s, advance to the 60s, they can still run as a team. Right. What I love most about that cross country is because there's that team competition where everybody counts. I mean, I actually did, I think, one of the times because our 50-year-old team was so good and I wasn't running bad by any means. It's still around a six-minute pace for a cross country 10K. It's not shabby as a 50-year-old. I ran under. I ran with the 40-year-old team just because that's the fill-out squad there. But you get to watch them. They actually keep the six-year-old races separate. They do the women's races separate. So you get to cheer on your other people. And that's really fun right. to watch the other races happen, cheer on the other teams. You're not just all kind of in at the end and ask what happened at the end. You get to right. watch some of these races happen. And it's really sure. it's fun. Sounds like fun. So let's talk about the local races now that the Harriers are involved in. So right now you have the Summer Sizzlers still going on on Wednesday evenings at Forest Parks. How are those uh, races going this year? I know you got a slow start because of COVID. Slow start, COVID. And it's always been one of the smaller races, to be fair, in terms of size. I think even in its heyday, it was a 40 to 50 person race. Over the past 10 years, I think we've been at, say, 20, 25 people. And we're about that number now. It's what we get. The 5K course is really tough. I haven't run the 5K in I think I ran it in high school and I haven't run it since, but uh, it's a very difficult course. It doesn't bring as many people. So how, how would it compare with, the, say, the uh, the Northampton course? Which is another course I've never run. You've never run that one? No. And I, I hear it's comparatively, it might be a little tougher just because of the layout of the course, but they both have pretty good hills, some difficult yeah. areas to navigate through. It could get wet. It could get muddy. A lot of stuff to get over. Yeah, I ran it for the first time about a month or so ago, and it was yeah. um, wet that day. <laughs> yeah. But, but it was a lot of fun. So then the um, Snowstorm Classics are in, right. in the winter at Forest Park, it alternate right. between a 5K and a 10K each week. Right. But that event, I believe, has never been canceled, right, due to snow? Yeah. So, yeah, so there I have a little bit more background because I have run the race. As you know, I've, I'm there helping. I've been helping out for what, maybe five years now. So I'm there every Saturday morning. And as to claim to fame, boy, what a jigsaw. We've never, ever been canceled. And boy, we held through it. So the, the good story is, like, I think the question is, all weather? Yeah. So I've seen some pretty treacherous snowstorms, some really bad ice storms. We've had one ice storm where I think we went from the 10K to the 5K just because we were freaking out about how icy and slippery some of the 10K parts were. And we figured, well, if we cut it down to 5K, there's half the chance people are going to fall down. And people did. <laughs> you always kind of cross your fingers. You don't want to see anybody get hurt. You know, we read the riot act, say, listen, this is not for the gold medal. <laughs> <laughs> but the best story is, yes, never, ever canceled. And the worst one was, I think they called it Superstorm Nemo, right? So we got over two feet of snow. And technically, by all reason, we should have never been able to have that race happen there was a state of an emergency roads were closed 
but have you will. One of our longtime Harriers, Steve O'Neill, lives right there by the park. Another woman, Carolyn Decker, uh, I think she actually cross-country skied from that area. She also lived right by the X. Came over. Art, who lives close by. Peter lives eh, somewhat close by. Somehow managed to get there without being stopped. And they watched Steve O'Neill trust through. I mean, it was over their knees. There's a picture on the wow. website of that result. Now I'm trying to think, do I have the date of it? Superstorm name. I wrote it down somewhere in my notes. I think it was like February 13, 2013 or something like that. Well, if anyone would have it, it would be you, I think. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was over over their knees. It's just trudging through it. They got through it in about an hour and 20 minutes, but should have never have happened, but yeah, we had boots that day. Oh, it was amazing. Snowshoes. It was super, super deep. And I couldn't believe that they did it. Well, Empire One, the Thursday night races, uh, they, they hadn't been canceled in 35 years until last week due to the thunderstorm. Yeah, that dick is another one they were canceled storm. I ran one of them where it absolutely cracked thunder as you're going across the reservoir. And we were probably in about an inch and a half of rain. You know, it was up to your ankles. It was coming down so fast and hard. I think this is not where you should be rutted. <laughs> the race still went on, right? Especially if there's thunder and lightning. And it was quite a bit. The, the sky was green. I remember just how oh, ominous man. it looked. It wasn't just your any nice. typical thunder and lightning. It was ugly. So the Harriers also uh, put on the uh, Walter Childs Race of Champions, yes. also known as the Holyoke Marathon. Right. So um, It's at least two or three names to that race, right? Race of Champions? Did you say Race of Champions? Yeah. Race of Champions, right? Yeah, right. Race of Champions. So you've won that four times. Yes. Yeah, of course, there's a couple of five-time winners, you know, Celia Hernandez, Mike Carroll, Dave Hanacek, the course record, and Mary Rizek all won it five times. Wow. So, boy, I really screwed up by not getting one in. After the last year I ran, um, Jeff Guile, he's a runner that's around this area. He'll be at the Empire races sometimes. Great guy. And he put up support, I think, one year and donated about $2,000 for prize money. So that brought out some heavy hitters. And although I ran good, I think, in 2010 or whatever what year that was, I only came in second. Well, I only came in second. I want to sound like that. And I haven't won since. I think my time has passed where I'll never get that fifth. And I won't be no Lance Armstrong running seven in a row. Well, four in a row was pretty impressive. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I ran the full marathon one year. In fact, my marathon PR was on that course. Wow, that's impressive. 343 and some change. The year I ran it, I think it was 2016, I believe. And, and so two weeks prior, I had run the Boston Marathon. I think I've told the story before. But for, in my age group, my BQ time was 355. And I, I just missed, I was like 356 in Boston. Yeah. A friend of mine convinced me to uh, run the Holyoke Marathon. You're, you're in shape. You're all trained up. Why not? And so I did. It was really a cool weather day. And I think that helped me out. Plus, the course had changed. The course used to end right at the entrance to Mountain Park. You had to go up that hill in the last right. half mile or right. so. And, and then they changed it so that the course started and ended at the Summit View. Right. You did that big hill at like mile three. And so you get that out of the way. So right at the end, mm -hmm. it was flat. Yeah. The reason for that was the Boys and Girls Club area. They actually owned the land. It was a ski lot area. We actually started down in the quarry and the quarry was gated off that year. And we probably figured it wouldn't come back. We didn't know if it would ever come back. So it wasn't just, let's just do it one year from here. We figured, let's get it remeasured. Of course, you have to go out and get it recertified every time you change a course. And that's the year we started with the Griffins Friends. So we right. knew we were going to have a, a larger group. We needed a little bit better parking. 
the Harriers and the great support that we have from our volunteers before, you know, like you say, you had to start to ski loft and it was quite a bit of way down that first mile before you get yeah. down to the reservoir and you would finish right by that reservoir area at the, uh, at the overpass. But that's a quite a way back. That's over a mile way uphill, a really big hill to go back up between the finish line and where you park your car. So Craig Bartleston, Leap, Leap Hasseltine, who I happened to pass away a couple of years back, and a couple of other the volunteers, they would just use their own car and take all the sweaty runners <laughs> and drive them back up to their car. And they wouldn't make anybody walk. And <laughs> I think that's what people loved about that race is the kind of support we got. It was a very small race. We didn't charge a lot of money. We gave you banquet food from Hamels. Right. You didn't pay a lot. You know, the, the metal wasn't the prettiest thing in the world. But, man, you got great support. You got prizes from Fast Feet. Right, right. We gave cash many years. I got a jacket, I think, from Fast Feet. Yeah. I mean, we give away, you know, get some pretty good prizes. And like you say, the support there. Yeah, a lot of runners on the course supporting you. It was um, people really like that. It's, it's near and dear to a lot of people's hearts, uh, the people that run it every year, including myself. Well, Joe Martino mentioned it in his book. He ran it back in 1967. He called it the Holyoke Massacre. Yeah, it was a different era, too. Walter Childs incarnated the race back in 63. And, of course, back then, I think that the attitude was much different. Who starts a race in June at 1 o'clock in the afternoon? For goodness sake. And actually, I guess it used to go by my house in the old days. It could be flats. I grew up just over the line on the Springfield Hungry Hillside. And then... I was surprised it went by my house, and I don't think I ever knew that as a kid. I was not aware. But it was the national championships that year. It's the Holyoke Massacre. So I did some digging. As a matter of fact, anybody that's interested, look at the website that we have, the Harriers. Look at the results history page. I have a couple of links. Ted Corbett, who was a long-distance runner, they coined him the father of long-distance running. He had a lot to do with course measurement, starting the New York Road Runners Club. He ran this race uh, I think he ran pretty much everything that you could find from the marathon up to 100 milers. You'll find a lot of big names that were ultra runners came to this race because of the difficulty of running a hilly course in June. There wasn't much water from what I understand either those years. There was maybe four or five water stops. And it was like I say, it was one o'clock in June. And they called that the Holyoke Massacre, I think because so many guys went out so fast. On the line was... The Pan Am Games, which is that kind of midpoint between the uh, the Olympics. Top two guys went to the Pan Am Games. These guys, oh. I guess, went out at like sub five minute pace and they they all crashed and burned horribly. And it's interesting, Tim. So I was looking through this because I was uh, you'll find links and some they call it the torture and tropics as well. There's actually a podcast that I linked up to that they talk about the race for about an hour and a half. Wow. It's really interesting. And as bad as that race was, the next year, it wasn't Pan Am qualifier. It didn't have Pan Am, but it was still a national championship race. So the national championship was on the line. And what the, the 67 race, I think it was high humidity, mid-80s, and a one o'clock start. Well, 68, I guess, it was mid-90s. And yeah, I guess Walter Childs decided they were kind of arguing, should they hold the race? Should they postpone it? What can we do is just way too hot. So they sat around and thought about it for an hour and a half and then decided to have it anyways, but it was even hotter out. Oh uh, I guess there was 150 people signed up, only 50 or so bothered to start it. Well, it's like the 2012 Boston Marathon, right, that you ran in. Right? Yeah. I think that that year was close to 90 degree temperature and, and they offered runners yeah. uh, an opportunity to defer, which the BAA never mm. does, right? So 
Right. Things have changed, yeah. But you ran it, though, right? I yeah. did. I've done a couple of races that have been tough weather, cold, really froze on a couple, like um, a Bay State Marathon one year. But that was tough. I think I came in in pretty good shape, really had a, a certain goal time I wanted to run. And trying to talk yourself out of it can be something. It didn't take me about a mile before I was already kind of slow it down, slow it down. And by mile two or three, I said, I had, you know, visions of sub six pace in my mind. And I think I started with a 630 and it didn't take a couple months before I was at seven minute pace. And it's like, if I can run seven minute pace all the way home, I'll be happy. And then I barely did that. There was a picture I think I found uh, when I was looking through my note, I kind of posted on one of my uh, social media, I believe it was at the finish line. I remember that year I was really determined to run. My wife just finished off her chemo. She had breast cancer. So I shaved my head just to keep that in my mind, what she was going through. You can't quit. When you think about what other people are going through, this is small comparison. Oh, absolutely. But I remember the look. I mean, I lost so much weight during that race, and I, I couldn't remember drinking any more water than I possibly could. And when I looked at the picture, and my eyes were just sunken. You could just see it. I was like, Wow. <laughs> It was a different kind of torture because I kind of packed it in, just kind of survival mode. But still, it was a lot of work just to get through it. That was before my uh, marathon running days, so I didn't have to live through that. Back to the whole marathon, this year's event scheduled for September 19th? Yeah, we put it out there as a tentative date, right? Because we are always the first Sunday in May. We knew we couldn't have it in May. We knew we were going to have challenges, and we, we were kind of weighing our odds of could we possibly do it in the fall? Let's put a date out there, establish a date before there's a lot on the calendar and see what we can do. But I think we, I've been talking it over. I think we're going to make the announcement. So breaking news on your podcast, uh, <laughs> there's probably 99.9%. We're not going to have it. There's it's just too much of a commitment of, of money, volunteers to try to put on a race at this size, knowing that we're not really going to have enough draw to make it worthwhile. There's too many races already established on this book already in the fall. I was just going to say that, like we said earlier, so many spring events got postponed to the fall. So there's so much competition now. Yeah. So why do that? Why put this race on now? Take away from the other events. We're going to have the race in May. And let's just focus on that. So yeah. I think that's where we're going to go with it. It's hard to do. Yeah. Sorry to hear that, but perhaps it's the right decision. It's not fair to your volunteers or anybody else if you're going to try to put something on at the last minute. I think it's just not. Right. Did you get many registrations so far? Or? I held off registrations. I just answered emails and told people when they were asking me about it. It's like, hold off. I don't want people committing. I think I had a couple of people saying they want to book flights to come in, which is always surprising. Oh you know, yeah. how, did you, how do you even find out about the Holy Marathon? The old joke is people always say the Holyoke race is like, they think St. Patty's Day. It's like, no, there's a marathon. You guys have a marathon? Yes, for the past 57 years. It's the, it's the 10th oldest in the country. Right. 19th oldest marathon in the world. Right. So like Boston, of course, was the long running one, but all these races that could not happen and the streak is broken. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, it's a shame. We'll be back at it in May, though. Better than ever, right? Yeah, I'm sure it'll be better than ever. Right. So another event that the Harry's put on is the big fourth 5K at, at the Basketball Hall of Fame. And that's usually a hot one. I ran it one year and gosh, you know, yeah. the heat coming off the concrete is just but you, um, you had a nice turnout last month. You had 147 runners. And so it must have felt good, right, to return to live racing after the pandemic? It did. It was good. We had a good turnout. And nowadays, it's like either these races are overwhelmed with people, certain popularity, what makes a race popular. 
we usually have about two to 300 for the fourth race. I think this was like the first race that we really knew for sure it was going to be unrestricted, but that unrestricted didn't happen until like about a week before. So as we were starting to go through the, the, pro, the permanent process, we were still kind of in, in between of can you have a stagger start? Can you have, you know, only 10 people go off at a time, which makes for a much different technical race to hold. Oh, for sure. But also being the race, a 5K race lasts a lot longer, which means you have to have, have cops out there for a lot longer. It was a little hard to kind of coordinate and try to figure out exactly what we're going to have in front of us. Uh, so to get that kind of a turnout was great. Well, plus you had competition and a new race in East Longmeadow as well to compete with. But a friend of mine tipped me off to a, another running podcast called Six Minute Mile. And they had a um, survey of race directors and they were talking about turnout for the races. And they said that the runners were happy to be back participating in live mm-hmm. events. But mm-hmm. they said the turnout was about two thirds of what it normally would be. So, yeah. I myself, like I ran Falmouth, but I'm not race ready. I think a lot of people between nerves about safety, just haven't been running. People that were running, maybe fell out of running. Not People not starting running, uh, a couple of things like that. And also you probably have like vacation time. Like uh, there was a couple of Grand, they just started a Grand Prix race. We didn't, we really didn't send a team. We just had uh, just Peter and uh, Vana's girlfriend uh, were the only ones that could go. The rest of the team was on vacation like myself. So we'll see how it goes with these races. I mean, some are going to do okay, but do worry about some not being able to make it. There's cost and efforts and energies that it takes to get people to come back to a race every year and the support you need to make it happen. But this year's big fourth, you you had a course record set this year by uh, Amherst College student, right? Sophia Walmer. Right. You never know. Yeah. 1714, 533 pace. Yeah, I remember helping out, send up some stuff, and uh, she walked over with her mom and asked about the course and the layout, how it went, where it went, and I was like, "Oh, don't worry, you know, so, like, you know, you never know who's asking a question because I'm thinking you're, you know, we have a pretty good mix. We always get a good couple of kids, either high school kids or local college kids, back for the holiday. Uh, so we usually have somebody that's going to run anywhere from 15 minutes through 20 minutes, a good, and a good depth of that." But, you know, well, what time do you think you're going to run? And she says about 17 minutes. I'm like, oh, oh, like, that's, that's quite fast. It's like, where are you from? Can we recruit you? She raised always the first question. Right? She's a, yeah, she's a junior at Amherst College. She, uh, wow. she had a good bout at the Nationals. She did, I think, the 5,000 and 10,000. So she's got another year of college running. So she's doing quite well. That was good. She uh, oh, wow. she looked great out there. She beat the course record by 20 seconds or something. But you also put on the Walter Childs Junior Trail Races. How are right. they going? They're going well. So Dennis Childs took over for his dad like 1989, because that's another one. That's 57 years, I believe, wow. of running that race. And it's really popular. A lot of great runners have come out of that area, come through that, you know, like come out of this area, have run that race when as a kid. It's done great, as I, I think people will say, of taking – kids that are like baseball players and soccer players or whatever that go to run it to be in shape and turn them into runners. What the Childs family does between, you know, the Walter Childs marathon and the Richard Childs trails race, Richard Childs, their uh, brother is a great contribution. I mean, it's a dollar and a half race. Kids under 15 can run it. The parents can run with them. When you talk about kids really small, because kids of all ages do do it. There's prizes at the end, everything, you know, all that for a dollar and a half. So I think the, uh, the numbers are about the same, a little bit lower, but not much. He's getting about 100 people there. It's a great, great race. You know, there's not much really in terms of youth right in the Springfield area running-wise. So 
Dennis is keeping up. He's been doing it for over 30 years now. Great. Have something like that for kids. So the Harriet's website um, maintains an impressive archive of race results. And I believe you maintain that, right? Right. And I'm trying to think. I know uh, it got it got attention on New England magazine and I couldn't find the article beforehand. I can't tell who I need to credit for who did the results before me. I know there was um, a person that did not just the website, but kept a database of particularly the snowstorms, which is probably what we're really proud of. Every single year is there. Well, you get results of the snowstorm back to uh, December 1980. Yeah. So the very first race, there's not a missing result there. I think, so I did some work cleaning up the results. When I came on to the Harriers in 2009, Bob Darby was doing uh, from the fast food store. He was doing some results. Then I came in and I kind of uh, cleaned it up, although I did take away the search capability, which is nice. That's on my to-do list of projects. But yeah, the results from 1990, I think I have, because I've cleaned up the database i created all kinds of like top 100 times for the men and women for the 5k to 10k who has the most finishes and all kinds of fun stuff that people you could people talk to me about all the time after the race and they love it they love seeing that well you seem to love doing this do you manage data in your real job uh i'm a programmer program okay so so i do like playing numbers i keep meticulous spreadsheets of my own running you know every race every split uh, every course i do so it's something I like to do, and I do like digging up results on the internet whenever I can find them, stuff like that, to try to, uh, just to promote the running in. Up until a couple of years ago, right, we had cool running, and, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it was just unceremoniously stopped by something called Active, yeah. which is right. really horrendous. When you click on a cool running link, it, yeah. it vectors you to Active. And, and right. it tells you, wow, you know, welcome to Active. We're going to continue to be a great resource for you. And, and, and they really have not lived up to it. Yeah, uh, boy, we could go on. That, that could be a show in itself to talk about. But it was really, uh, they didn't make any friends with the running community by abandoning those results. I understand maybe some of the technical logistics of trying to carry those results forward into the new platform they were going to go on. But yeah, I think they should have at least put it out there. Could they crowdsource the effort? I would have been certainly one to try to do that, to put the effort in, to try to convert it to either a different platform, host it, find some way. So what I started doing, and that project kind of got put on a shelf, and I do need to pick it up again. There's a Wayback Machine. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Open um, a free archive that was started back in um, the 80s. They post that they have trillions of pages saved in cache, if you will, saved in a database. You can query it and you can find results based on that. So what I've done is worked on uh, looking through, you know, you used to look up Massachusetts results 1999. Find that web page, find all the links in there, parse them out, go find that web, uh, find that link URL, see if it's available. So I had really high expectations that I was going to, you know, reclaim all these results. And what I found was, even though I have about 30,000 pages of results from Massachusetts alone, starting like 1995, I don't have everything, about 87%. What I was doing, I was kind of cleaning them up, reformatting it, ripping out a lot of the um, the side content that was there that made it kind of, well, especially when it's been archived, it became very unreadable, misformatted. So that became a little bit bigger effort than I, I anticipated. And I'm rethinking about how I'm going to attack the problem again and maybe take another stab at it. But the goal is there. 
sometime I hope in you know the next year or two to bring back those results. Oh yeah, well that's a big project. I think I read your goal was to reclaim all the results from New England races in New York State. Yeah, that that was my goal, and I, I started getting a little disappointed because I, I I got back so many files when I started. The Wayback Machine does give you a programmer interface to find stuff and download it. Boy, I was like fifty thousand files just for Massachusetts alone. This is great, and what I found was. There's a lot of uh, supporting files and races. You know, when you put times up, well, you think of like um, the Empire Thursday night race. He might put up five or six different links for the when the point series happens. And what I found was you didn't have control over which page was being archived there. So you might have gotten, when it was the 5K results, you might have only had one page there. And it might have been the, the point series thing. Or it might have been the age group winners and not the overall results, which is really what you wanted. I think Dick has all those files. Yeah, but that's for an example. What I've done, I've, I gave a link to uh, Brian Donahue. I, I, I reclaimed everything that was cool running. I did find all the, the St. Paddy's Day races. So I made a web page up and I shared it with Brian Donahue. And I think I have a link on the Hario site for it uh, as well. So you can find Talking Turkey and St. Paddy's Day results, historical for there. And matter of fact, Dick said he would... There was only a couple of years I couldn't find for talking turkey. And he said, I'll give them, I'll get them to you. And so I'll, I'll include them in my I page. I saw on the website where you had archive of all Western mass races, or, or at least more than those two anyway. Oh, yeah. About four or five years ago, I also started trying to capture any time I saw a link to put that, you know, include a link, not take somebody's results, but provide a link. And that's what you see now when you go to our webpage. You'll see something called Western Mass Local Results or yes. Race Calendar. Yes. That's me every every uh, about once a week, churning through sites, finding results, finding new races, and adding them to a database, put them into uh, our website. So you do have some historical record. Some of that stuff is different. It's different to keep a link to a site. You know, I could have a, like I had a, a ton of links to Cool Running. Now they become dead. So in that case, you, you get links to somebody else's site, whereas to resurrect the archives from Cool Running, you need the original files. Yeah. You know, when Cool Running abandoned the results, I'll, I'll go to the web archive. I have no problem kind of taking results that have been abandoned and taking them. But I, I wouldn't want to go after, say, someone like Tim Murphy's 413 Racing Time and Company, take his results, you know, reformat them and call them my own. Right. I would only put a link to them. Um, sure. And that could be problematic. I think people don't realize web designers love to go through and rebrand, remarket, or just kind of give it a fresh look and blow away links. And all of a sudden you have links that are gone and the, re the results have gone. Yeah. I know several clubs have redone their websites and deleted great right. content, race stories, pictures, results, which is that's just a shame. Yeah, I know when Cool Running was shut down, there were a lot of disappointed runners, and I was one of yeah. them. One thing runners like to do is go back and look at their results from yeah. old races. And and, yeah, I think it's a real disservice. I, I like what you're doing with this podcast. One of the great things that I think we missed from this area is having those Bill Wells-type running stories every week, talking about people, talking about races. The thing about Cool Running was it was widely used especially not just new england but particularly massachusetts so you could go to cool run and find a race nowadays you could look at two or three different websites and have no idea that there was a race right in your area next weekend right well i depend on your website <laughs> thank you and i depend on you i list we've been helping each other now because every once in a while oh we're, I, I didn't see that one the other side i look at is running in the usa 
you can sort by state. It's well organized, actually. You can sort by yes. county and date. Yeah. There's all kinds of ways you can sort it. And so I sort by Hampshire, Hamden, Franklin, yeah. and Berkshire County. For the most part, it's good. One time we found there'll be a link to um, a race that really doesn't exist. Like we, we found that yeah. a, a month or two right. ago. But yeah, I've been doing this for a couple of years. And I found about maybe 20 possible different sites. And some of them are like that. They just automatically generate a new date even though they have no idea or didn't contact anybody if the race is still going on or if this is even legitimate. Right. Just based on last year. A date yeah. race. So how are the Harriers doing today? You, did the pandemic uh, affect your recruiting? You know, good question. I've been thinking about that one as well. And of course, the pandemic kind of shut everything down in terms of not just the races, but you really can't have group runs. You can't have anything. So you get a trickle of emails here and there about, I want to join your club or when are you guys going to have races? That was always the big question. When's your race coming? I was like, who knows? Mm -hmm. uh, I know a couple of different clubs like Smack and Empire started talking about, okay, virtual time trials. But Pete had a great idea with the Summer Sizzlers. Okay, let's do it on our, instead of just running some race anywhere, let's run it on our course. You run it on your own honor system, but at least you have some higher sense of competitiveness. You know, it's not right. like, well, I'm going to go run on a treadmill when it's, you know, in a nice controlled environment and I'm not going to run it on a 90 degree day or stuff like that. This at least give everybody a sense of competitive and we made them for free. And it was so popular. People asked me to do it again with the, uh, I created a fall series, if you will, about eight, 10 more races. I think it was originally going to be eight. And people were saying, can you please go on to December, the snowstorms? And of course the snowstorms went to, uh, we had to go that. So we end up doing a lot of the virtual time trials free. And that really helped people, I think, through the pandemic. It also kind of did generate some interest. We had some people kind of rejoin with the club or join up to the club. So I, I think it balanced out a little bit, actually, to be honest. I think some people took up running during the pandemic. People had more spare time than they were yeah, home, right. maybe working from home. And from what I read, a bunch of folks took up running. It's definitely a stress lever when we need it the most. And I think that's why people really appreciate the time trials that everyone was putting on. Obviously, they weren't as good as racing in real life with real people face to face. I think it was an important mechanism for people's mental health. Right. And the Harriers, they also own and operate two fast feed stores. Right. Are you involved yeah. with that at all? I don't get involved with the daily operations of running a store. I got enough to do with the club. But one of the unique things, we're a store that technically the Harriers own the fast feed running clubs. Our members get a discount there when they buy merchandise and shoes, which is a nice perk. And we, like I say, we have an equity in the fast feed stores and the fast feed stores obviously help the run in, in back and forth. So the daily operations, no, Bob Darby, he's a store manager there and he's kind of managing, we have the Westfield store as well, but I don't pretend to know much about running a running store. I know someone like Art Roberts has been around forever, was at times doing that. We have a separate board that does kind of manage that. And some of the people like Celia Hernandez are on it, and Peter's obviously involved. And you're also involved with the, the West, Western Mass Runners Hall of Fame? I am not. I haven't been around as long. I, I do talk, of course. I mean, th those are people that would be great for podcasts. I know you had Don Roberts on, Rich Clark, yeah. a wealth of knowledge. He's an historian, if you will, of some of the races around here. I have talked to him at several different times, offered anything I could, you know, in terms of help if they need any technical questions or anything I could do with their website, anything. But 
when it comes historical, it's pretty much, I don't have the depth. I started running in 2005 that some of these people really, when they ask like, who would you put on that? I mean, I draw a little bit of a blank beyond what they've already said. There's quite a few runners in this area that we, I love talking to because they do know so much about running like Rich Clark, Dennis Shiles. People have been running for 30 years, Joe Foy's, you know, these, they know the names of people and who done what. And I was like, sometimes I'm still a man, even after 15 years, I'm like, I never heard that person. So you started running in 2005 then? You were uh, in your 30s yeah. then, right? Yeah, right. You do exceptionally well for someone who got a late start. You went in a high school track star? My good friend bugged me for a couple of years to run in high school. And I chose for whatever reason to run wrestle in 10th grade in Putnam Vocational. And we had an exceptionally good wrestling team at Putnam. And I was not an exceptionally good wrestler, <laughs> but I did enjoy it. I was probably in the best shape of my life at that time. Uh, and I did train a lot, but I did run in 12th grade, ran a half mile. And I think by the end of the year, I just got into Western Mass as the, uh, the last seed. And I remember that race well, because uh, I think my coach said, you know, you've been getting better every week, go out to the front. I never seen you fall back once you get the lead. And boy, I don't know if that was really good advice because mm-hmm. I shot out. If the race was a 600 meter race, <laughs> I would have been champ. I died a horrible death. I think my splits were 58, 68. <laughs> and I really don't remember finishing. I finished almost second to last. And I just couldn't remember it. I'm not sure exactly where I dropped the lead, but it felt like a day and a half to get around that last corner. But after high school, then you didn't lace them up again for, what, about 15 years? Yeah. I mean, I think I remember doing a talk in Turkey. I remember doing D.H. Jones. So I was doing some long runs on my own, doing some stuff, but I really didn't have any method or madness to my training. I'd go out and run hard every time. And I wouldn't run frequently enough. One of the things people ask you about, what's, you know, what kind of things can you do to improve your running? And it's, for people that are not in a running club, get into a running club, talk to people, learn. You could always buy a book back in the day, but it's nothing like running with people every, you know, a couple times a week, really swapping stories and getting an idea or getting that feedback of what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. If I did that, it might've taken old. I'm a late in life runner. I had never run anything longer than a 10K until I was 59 years old. I might have had a little bit more success if I'd done that. I cycled for a little while with the cycle knots, didn't really join on to the team. So same kind of thing, you know, train hard now and then when I felt like it, but not really putting a discipline behind it. It was over about 2005, you know, when after a couple of years of starting the house, starting the family, with work, you know, you start putting a couple pounds on it. It's like, boy, I got to get back in shape. You ran the Boston Marathon in 2006. Yeah, it did take me long. I think I started a couple of races in 2005. Once I put a little discipline in, yeah. You were routinely under three hours. 2009, I looked it up here. 236.46. Yeah, I, I got into it like in 2005, soon after I started running Mark Belargent from Empire. Yeah, I know Mark. You know, very dedicated, runs every day, you know, or close to. And we got into a really disciplined schedule, really committed to running. And it was around that time. I had no idea. No plans when I first started running again in 2005 or running a marathon. I think it started with my brother-in-law running St. Paddy's Day, you know, just to do it because I'd never done it. And I was like, how could you have never done St. Paddy's Day? And I ended up running as Dan Pavoni in the race because he hurt his knee. I actually didn't go skiing with him because I'm a terrible skier. 
I'm not coordinated at all. And I didn't want to hurt myself after I did all this training. And sure enough, he hurt his knee a little bit. And I ran as damn before. Something I would have never do now. But back then, I didn't know. But, and that's where it kind of started. And then I got the idea to run uh, the Clarence tomorrow, my first marathon. And I really had a plan. Mark helped me out a lot. I set up a good, slow progression of miles, the right kind of long runs you want to do, tempo runs. We did track work religiously every week. We had a great group going Tuesday to Lovell Track. Joe Boucher was another one that would show up with us and run. And I went into a marathon very prepared. And you know, like I said, I think I ran like a 253, came in 10th. That's amazing. What does it feel like to win a marathon? Like you've won the challenge? This be a good feeling? It is nice. It's a small race, but anytime you go into a race, you put the work in and you're rewarded with a good time, no matter what that time is based on your level, the satisfaction is there. I mean, to be honest, you ran like your best race. Like you put a really good training block in and you came in 200th, but it was the best time ever. Would it have mattered if you went to a race with nobody in it and unprepared, but everybody else was less prepared than you. And that's why I always say my first marathon was very rewarding. I had great weather. And then I had, that was all in preparation of getting to Boston that 2006, which, you know, to run a 243, I think even back then I wasn't using like fancy racing flats. I was still kind of new. And I, you know, you pop a 243. Oh, that's awesome. Both that and the Clarence, you get those calls from Bill Wells. He wants to put an article on you get those emails for the next week and a half from everybody. Wow. It's unbelievable. You know, jealous, you know, <laughs> to come out, you're like, you've only been running for two years and you, you put up that kind of a time. And that really, that's really when things started to take hold. And I spent probably the next couple of years trying to beat that time. And I found it very difficult. But you're pretty consistent. I mean, you were in the Boston Marathon mm -hmm. up until 2015. So we talked about 2012 when it was almost 90 degrees. Do any others stand out? Yeah, 2009, obviously, when I PR'd, that was when finally, because I, I went through a couple years of putting a lot more time in, getting my mileage up to 100. I wouldn't run every week 100, but I spent about six to eight weeks or close to that mileage. And it takes a while, not just to build up to it, to actually, I think, get used to it, like what they call uh, be able to absorb the work, to be able to put quality in. And now I remember having a couple of races where it's like, I don't get it. You know, I can run forever but why can't you run fast? Because you just, your legs are just not ready for that amount. You can handle the training, but racing good off of it takes even more time. It probably takes three, four years to build up a good marathon. And that's what it did. It took about three years before I hit that 2009. And that was a good feeling. I think, you know, you think about when you're in a corral at times and boy, you just feel like I know exactly where I'm going to run. I feel very prepared. I'm very calm. And I'm not nervous at all because the work's been done and it's almost anticlimactic when it happens. Yeah, it's a good feeling. Right. It's like being at a test where you've studied, you studied your butt off and you know every answer. So how many um, marathons total have you run? I had to look it up. It was 31. 31. Wow. That's a big number. Yeah. So you're still running marathons today? Well, because of um, COVID, I haven't run. I have no plans to do one this year. I'm going to try to get one in next year, but I got to build my mileage up again. It's been on and off. I ran Cape Cod 2019 and I felt like I was in good shape, but it was bad weather. Yeah. You know, it's typical October on a Cape. I mean, you can get some pretty windy, rainy days. And sure enough, that's what it was. A nice cold, windy rain. So didn't have the race I wanted, but mm -hmm. that is part of what a marathon is all about, right? 
Yeah, you never know what the weather's going to bring. So how many miles a week are you logging now? Nah, not much. I was on vacation now, so that week I put in, I put in a, a good 40 or 50 that week, but on average, very little. A couple times a week I get out and run. Typically, it's a 50 or 60 miles. So have you ever been slowed down by running-related injuries? Yeah, who hasn't, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> As I'm running my nose, I'm like, oh, boy, that's where I put an LOL. It seems about, I wouldn't say every other year now that I'm getting older, but it seems like it. It's all overtraining, overuse injuries in terms of IT bands, stuff like that, muscle imbalance. Never had any real bone structure problems. So do you do any cross-training Trying to help you running. No, I'm not someone you come to to ask for about diet and you know cross training. I do like to run. You like to get out the door and run. And so, where do you like to go? Do you just go in your neighborhood? Do you have a favorite place? I do a lot of running the back roads of Ludlow. It's probably where I spend primarily most of my time. Even though I live off a of major route, Route 21, I try to get out to a side road as much as possible. You always squeeze for time. So getting in the car, traveling to somewhere, then to do a run doesn't appeal to me so i like running ashley reservoir at least once a week now the thursdays i'll even if i'm not going to race i'd get out there and run it's good to run into people after and talk yeah i like it there so ashley is obviously a, it's a great gem of this area i mean it's so pretty it is i always refer to it as a hidden gem in holyoke it's very beautiful right i mean you've been there when, it, when the water is like glass and the sun's coming down that's like oh boy it's nothing like it. Yeah, in Ludlow, there's a group of us used to meet on Sunday mornings at the Boys and Girls Club. Deb Heavey and some of the Empire One folks. We thought our long runs there. I, I didn't know the streets. I just followed along. It's a nice place to run. Yeah, I would run from the high school quite a bit. And we used to have group runs. I would, even though the track is in really, really bad condition, we'd do track workouts from there. But yeah, you would have to go down some of the side roads deep in Thomas Belchertown to find me on a given day. Anywhere I can avoid traffic, that to me is a good road. Right. So, Rob, this has been great. Thanks so much for sharing your experiences on the podcast. It's certainly been a pleasure chatting with you. And good luck to the Harriers uh, going forward. Thank you. And good luck to you with the podcast. I enjoy listening to it. Thanks, Rob. I've been trying to release my podcast every Monday. But I was busy this past week, so this podcast is a few days later than usual. I've released one podcast a week for the past 22 weeks, but going forward, I may miss a week here or there as we have some vacation travel planned in September and October. But I have some great guests lined up, including Teresa Vincent to talk about a 2,269-day run streak, Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez to talk about diet and nutrition, Erica Erickson to talk about all of her amazing running, including the Leadville 100. Paul Josephsik to talk about his run from Massachusetts to Florida to raise money for Griffin's friends. And Ashley Mellon to talk about her awesome running and the upcoming Chicago Marathon. Thank you for listening to the Let's Run Western Mass Running Podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. And as always, happy running! Happy running!